We thought we'd take a look at where the two major parties sit in terms of childcare subsidies and parental leave. And we'll also talk about ways of staying in the workforce if you're older while remaining satisfied and relevant. Elizabeth Hill is Associate Professor in Political Economy at the University of Sydney and a Director of the Gender Equality in Working Life Research Initiative. And Barbara Cosson is a co-founder of War on Wasted Talent. They're a social enterprise aiming to change the conversation around work and ageing and provide a service that allows mature age professionals and employers to connect. Elizabeth and Barbara, welcome to Saturday Extra. Thanks, Thanks, Carly. Lovely to be here. Now, Elizabeth, this week we did hear a lot from Josh Frydenberg about uh, how he plans to control new spending and continue to grow the economy. Now, you're an expert in understanding the opportunities for women in the workforce. There are, it seems, workforce shortages everywhere. Are women rushing out to get these jobs and grow the economy as the Treasurer would like? Well, yes, they are. Um, Women have bounced back incredibly strongly from the pandemic where they lost more jobs and more hours of work than men. We saw that in last month's labour force data that shows women return to work with gusto, clocking up an historical high participation rate of almost 62.5%. And I guess this isn't surprising. Um, As you said in your intro, Australian women are the best educated in the world We're better educated than ever before, and we're better educated than men. In fact, one in two women in their mid-20s to mid-30s has a university degree these days. And what we find um, in our own research is that they're job-focused, they have strong aspirations for successful futures at work, and they're ready to go. But I think what the Treasurer failed to point out is that in spite of this really strong performance, women's participation in paid work is more than eight percentage points lower than men's. We see the implications of this in the ABS data and in our own research, which shows us that women want to work more hours, they want to work more days, and they also want to work in jobs that reflect their skills and ambitions. But the problem is that the high cost and lack of accessible early childhood education and care means that many women work less than they'd like to and often in jobs below their skill level where they're able to get the kind of shorter hours or the flexibility they need to manage their care commitments for their children and their family. So we find that women feel that the current working care systems are just not working for them and that they feel forced or backed into a corner where they've got to choose between work and care. And I guess what we'd say is that this represents a huge wasted resource and is a really significant drag on Australia's growth and productivity. The way to kind of cut through is by extending publicly funded universal early childhood education and care. You talk about trading down, which of course is something, Barbara, that you strike no doubt in in your field of work as well, this idea of wasted talent. But can I find out from uh, you, first of all, what are major parties offering? What are the actual policy uh, policies on offer when it comes to assisting uh, with that issue? So in terms of childcare, the coalition offers the current system And this does include a number of changes that they introduced last month that saw an increase in the subsidy provided for second and third children in care, and that was as high as 95%. And they also did away with the annual cap on subsidies for higher income households. And that has improved affordability for families with two or more kids in formal early childhood education and care. 
Um, Tuesday's budget also included funding for 20 new centres to be built in areas that um, don't have that service available. On the ALP side, they have promised cheaper childcare. We saw this in the budget reply speech and they have a plan to lift the subsidy for early childhood education and care and out-of-school hours care through an additional almost $5.5 billion investment in the current scheme. And the idea is that the new investment will see about 96% of families being better off. That's quite a, a significant difference. And I think the other interesting thing from the ALP side is that they plan to design and implement an early year strategy that will coordinate all services for young children across government and take a whole of government approach. And I think this is absolutely what's needed. We need to move beyond a piecemeal response to these issues and really have a joined up approach. And that includes thinking about paid parental leave because at the moment our paid parental leave scheme and our early childhood education and care systems don't articulate very well. And so it means that for parents of young children, they often find themselves having sorted themselves out for a moment and then they go back to work and they're kind of scrambling, well, I can't get care for another year or another six months or another three months. What do I do? And they're kind of patching things together. So pay parental leave is another really important piece of the picture. Um, I guess on that front, I'd say it's really good to see pay parental leave put on the table by the coalition in the, in the budget. The 2010 system was always designed to be improved. So what we saw on Tuesday night was the coalition um, advocating a new um, system of pay parental leave where the existing 18 weeks is rolled together with the two weeks of dad and partner pay to equal a total of 20 weeks. And that total is now available for either parent to use in any combination, and it can be taken flexibly over the first two years of a child's life. So you don't just have to use it all in a single block. You can use half of it and then um, one for immediately after the birth, and then you can come back and maybe one or, or each parent could use it one day a week for whatever period of time is left. So I think the important thing here is that they've got rid of those antiquated notions of primary and secondary carers. And I guess the other thing to say is that we, we need a lot more than 20 weeks. That is just not enough for parents to, to care for newborn children, to get themselves reorganised. And the, ev the global evidence suggests that we need to get much closer to 30 weeks. Barbara, Elizabeth's been describing, I guess, the, the very real impact that those necessary childcare reforms could have in the workplace and why they're so critical. But when you work in your organisation, the war on wasted talent, you're not only looking at parents who aren't in the workforce or women not in the workforce, but indeed older workers. Older workers, yes. You know, older, older women often, when they have just sort of managed to complete all their childcare responsibilities and they are able then to move into the workforce in a more full-time capacity, they actually often face gendered bias in the workplace. And, in fact, the Human Rights Commission reports that older women are more likely than older men to be, you know, perceived as having outdated skills being too slow to learn new things or, you know, someone who might deliver a more unsatisfactory job. So, you know, women cop it, you know, not just with the with the childcare issues. It, it um, tends to go on. They suffer from a, a bit of accumulated disadvantage um, as a result of that. 
Barbara, can you explain what are you doing with War on Wasted Talent to assist and help those people? We've been working on developing War on Wasted Talent for the last couple of years and I guess we got involved in this because uh, from our own experience, I'm a a woman in that older demographic, I'm 60 plus, and so uh, I and my colleagues meet a lot of people who have had the experience of going through the recruitment process as older workers and they're often pretty shocked at the way that they're treated particularly well-skilled and professional people experience this as well. So we're about, you know, wanting to see people flourish at work. Uh, We're about the human element of productivity, if you like. So not just keeping people in work just because they're older. We don't think that'll increase productivity. But we do think that if people can be in satisfying work and can have their work valued, and can avoid bias, then, you know, they're, they're more likely to be productive. But you're, you're also about overcoming some of those stereotypes, aren't you? For example, I understand you've got a program you know, where you assist people um, who might be perceived as not being able to cope with tech. You're trying to encourage them to look at options in cybersecurity, for example. Yes. So we've got a few programs that we're offering and we've got a bit of a pilot going at the moment. We're inviting professional people uh, 45 plus because um, surprisingly enough, discrimination in the workplace can be start, is starting at younger and younger ages. And um, about three in 10 Australians aged 45 and over are experiencing it. So we've got a number of programs. We've got an employment platform, first of all, or we're, we're piloting that at the moment, where, uh, you know, we're trying to Um, enable mature professionals to be able to present themselves directly online to employers. So that's one of them. We're also providing a range of resources, so training, career support program. We're sort of helping people identify where they might need tech support. But we've also partnered with Latrobe University to, uh, and they're involved in a very big project to try and increase uh, Australia's cybersecurity capacity. So our role within that partnership, which also includes people like um, Optus and Cisco and Quantum Victoria, just to name a few, is to actually help older workers transition into cybersecurity. The reason being that, you know, we think of cybersecurity as totally tech intensive, you know, hackers working in the basements of buildings, sort of um, hacking into sensitive information or protecting our own. Whereas, you know, actually they need people with a wide range of skills, you know, communications, project management, client relationships, it's really broad. And it's very important for cybersecurity to have diversity. So our role is to try and transition people who, who are looking to make a transition in their career as older workers into cybersecurity and with a particular emphasis on older Mm -hmm. women. Elizabeth, um, in the lead up to the budget, we did hear of a group of Liberal backbenchers reportedly pushing to unleash, I think it was called, a grey army of retired workers to boost the nation's (laughs) stretched employment market. Mm. Um, Now, whether or not we like the term, it was about, uh, you know, the government allowing pensioners to work more because at present retirees face such financial penalties, even if they work one or two extra days a fortnight. What what are the arguments for not letting them work more? Well, look, I mean, we're all for um, 
you know, people working, uh, older people having access to work. If they enjoy it, if it helps them economically, obviously it's going to be good for them and good for the economy. But uh, compared to New Zealand, for example, we have a lot less uh, older workers in the workforce than they do. And I think, I'm, look, I'm not in really knowledgeable about this, but I do know that there, uh, if we could increase the number of people 55 and over in the Australian workforce, we would lift our GDP by about $33 billion. So it's significant. I think retirement is changing. The whole idea of people retiring is changing. I mean, I know that the retirement age has been pushed back, but at the same time, you know, people are seeing the value of staying in the workplace. And in fact, the older demographic is rejecting retirement at a great rate. They're they're looking to work beyond it because they enjoy working. They're more committed to work because they enjoy it. So I think there are some systemic, systemic issues that really do need to be addressed. And one of them is the issue of age, age diversity. Elizabeth, can I ask, perhaps this record low unemployment rate, does that actually provide an opportunity for these reforms to be carried out? Carly, I think the opportunity comes from um, this post, this unique, um, the unique nature of this post-pandemic moment, where we've had closed borders, and we've ended up with a very tight labour market that has delivered the low unemployment rate that you you talk about, and it means that there's new pressure to really think about where um, we've got excess capacity that isn't being well deployed in our labour markets and across the economy, and if now isn't the time that our leaders um, look towards the um, capacity of Australian women and work towards changing policy settings so that they are able to more freely engage in paid work um, with the care support that is required. Uh, I really don't know what will change uh, um, where we've got to. Barbara, do you agree with that? A critical moment, a moment of opportunity for change? Look, yes. You know, I know, Kylie, that Elizabeth was mentioning earlier about the number of women who have benefited um, and are now sort of in the work workforce as a result of this. But I do wonder how long this is going to last. Older workers and women uh, in particular were significantly affected by COVID early on. And while it seems that there's been a lot of opportunity created now through the skill shortage, I do wonder what the long term opportunity is here because, you know, we've had our migration and skilled worker programs on hold. So now that the borders are opening and people are coming back in. So, you know, I think we need to be concerned about short-term fixes. Barbara, of course, productivity isn't just an economic term, is it? It's also a personal experience. Absolutely. Can, Can you describe for us the kind of, I guess, what kind of satisfaction and benefits you might see when you connect someone to a job or new skills to extend or revitalise their career? Well, we, I mean, we're, that's what we're working towards at the moment, which is why we're piloting it. But I guess some of the experiences that we're hearing about, uh, I heard a, a, an eye-opening experience quite recently when an older woman, woman went for a job interview with a recruiter who was quite a bit younger than she was. And um, anyway, she did not get the position, but the, the recruiter decided to pass on some advice to her and she suggested that she, this older woman would not get a job with an employer um, unless she fully covered her arms because 
she had this sort of sagging under her arms and, you know, that wasn't um, that wasn't the sort of thing that was going to get her a job. And I think this is, comes right back to that um, uh, Australian, Australian Human Rights Commission report about this heightened, if you like, scrutiny of women's appearance in the workplace. Uh, you know, trying to overcome those sorts of things, that is not no easy fix. There's a very deep uh, assumptions that exist in our community. That's, that almost feels like culture, doesn't it? It is very cultural. Um, and they're, you know, these views, you know, they older workers commonly get dumped into this one demographic and there's sort of no attention to how their characteristics and attributes vary across um, a very wide age, age group. You know, not everyone ages in the same way. But we've still got this view that older workers aren't very keen on change. They're not very innovative. They can't do tech. Um, they're stuck in their ways. So these are very entrenched views mm. that still exist out there. And while employers will say that they, you know, employ the person with the most skills, there are a significant number of Australians who feel that they are discriminated in the recruitment process and are often told they're either overqualified or not the right cultural fit. And those sort of cultural issues lead to a whole number of systemic issues in the workplace. For example, the lack of age diversity policies. You know, age diversity is as crucial as all other kinds of diversity policies because they are about keeping people engaged in work and engaged people are more productive. There's plenty of research out there um, about workers who perceive their organisations as inclusive Mm. You know, they experience greater work engagement, they have better psychological well-being, and they're less likely to leave an organisation. And given the changes in re in retirement with people wanting to work longer, th this is really crucial to, to keep people working. Both Barbara and Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. There's so, there is a lot to be said about this. Yes, all I can do is really wish you a productive weekend, I think. Thank Thanks, Carly. Thank you. Appreciate it. Barbara Cosson is a co-founder of War on Wasted Talent, a social enterprise that aims to change the conversation around work and ageing. And Elizabeth Hill is Associate Professor in Political Economy at the University of Sydney, as well as a director of the Gender Equality in Working Life Research Initiative.